All right, the children can head out to Children's Church at this time. We are going to continue talking about the vital signs of faith, of our spirituality. Last week, we talked about uh, congruity, uh, meaning that our spiritual life needs to conform to the likeness of Jesus Christ. It needs to be uh, consistent, um, the same throughout, no matter where we go, and we need to be in sync with the Holy Spirit, doing what He says, when He says, how He says, etc. So this week, we're going to be talking about the topic of adaptability. Uh, which is an an interesting one. The human body is created to be adaptable. Adaptability is a, well, it's it's necessary for our continued existence. Um, The world around us changes, and our bodies have to adapt to what happens around us. So when it is hot outside, our bodies will produce sweat, And that sweat is what cools our body down when it is extremely hot. Without that, we would uh, easily overheat. During the winter, as we are probably soon to find out, when we find ourselves outside in the cold, our bodies will involuntarily shiver. It will do that in order to heat itself up, despite the fact that it is uh, uh, cold outside. Without that, uh, our body would be underheated. When you go to the doctor's office, uh, one of the things, especially when you go to the eye doctor, uh, there's two things um, that that are unpleasant. One of them is a little puff of whatever that is that gets uh, uh, spit in your eye. That's unpleasant. But the other one is that he has the light, the little light that he sits there, and he he holds it up, and he's looking at your face, and he shines it in your eye, and then he pulls it away. And he's watching, and then he shines it in your eye, and and he pulls it away again. What is he, what's he doing? Well, he's going from dark to light, dark to light, because he's trying to see if your eye is responding or adapting to the brightness of the light that is being presented to it. See, your eye, when it is dark, will uh, uh, open it up and get wider so that you are able to take in more light and be able to see when it is dark. Your eye then adapts in bright light, and it will close it off because too much light will burn the retina that is inside of it. So your eyes would not work if they did not adapt to the situations that they found themselves in. So a healthy body, we find, adapts to changes around it so that it can continue to do what it is supposed to do. If our eye didn't shrink, I guess the eye isn't, the pupil, if the pupil didn't shrink, uh, we would, we'd have too much light we wouldn't be able to see. If it didn't get wider in the dark, um, we wouldn't be able to see. So It changes, it adapts in order to do what it's supposed to do. Now, Paul brings this into his spiritual life, and he says it this way. We read this a couple of weeks ago. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23, Paul says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, uh, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside of the law, I became as one outside the law. Now, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. So Paul here says, For the sake of the gospel, I am willing to become all things to all men, to all people, 
So uh, to the Jews, I become as a Jew. To the Greek, I become as the Greeks. To the strong, I become strong. To the weak, I become weak. To the rich, I become rich. To the poor, I become poor. It doesn't matter what it is. In his mind, he is willing to adapt to whatever environment he finds himself in uh, as long as he does not change or alter or adapt the gospel. He adapts to the environment, but he does not adapt uh, what it is he's preaching. I would put this akin to if you raised up money and told people, I'm going over to France and I'm going to preach the gospel and we're going to try to reach the French people. And you raise up a, a ton of money and you go over there and you stand every day. You stand on the street corner holding up your Bible and you begin to proclaim the word and you are just uh, uh, shouting out. And, and everything you say is absolutely true, 100% true. You don't say a thing that's false, but if you say everything in English... What good was it? All of that truth fell on ears that were incapable of understanding it. No, you have to adapt to the you have to adapt yourself to the environment in which you go in order to be able to share the truth. It's not just the truth that we carry, but it is also the method by which we share it. So adaptability, according to Paul, becomes a part of who we are as people. And as our culture around us is rapidly changing from anything that I grew up with, you grew up with, it is uh, transforming fundamentally in, in what right is and what wrong is, you and I, we've got to, we, we have to decide how do we carry forth this truth in a way where we are adapting to the environment without changing or um, altering the truth that we share we have, so this lesson is not going to be this. I'll tell you what we're not going to talk about. It sounds like we're talking about change, but I, I don't want to do a sermon. I don't want to talk about change in the church. I don't want to talk about uh, change in our culture. I don't want to talk about change at work. I don't want to talk about change in the family. I don't want to talk about life changes or even how to deal with change, which is going to sound really weird. What we want to discuss is our hearts. Do we have adaptable hearts? Because if we set our hearts right, then whatever the changes are, whether it's at work or whether it's in the culture or whether it's in the none of it matters. The heart that is prepared to adapt is the heart that can face any change. And we don't have to deal with the change. We're going to deal with the the heart. So we're talking about this uh, adaptability. Let's, uh, we're going to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We're going to read the first 13 verses there. Um, you, you've probably, uh, whether you've read it before, heard it read before, or you, you know, you've heard the, the turtle song, uh, the version of this. The birds! You're right! It's the birds who sang it. Who were the turtles? Not the ninja turtles. For, all right. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together. 
a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of his toil. This is God's gift to man. Massive truths in this passage. And the first part talks a lot about the changes that we face. Births, deaths, war, peace. But the passage, the part of it, the key passage that I want to I key in on is uh, there right a little towards the end of it where he says this. He says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Because in this, we are learning about how we become an adaptable people, regardless of whatever situation we find ourselves in. Whether it is a time of birth or a time of death, whatever a time of gain or loss, whatever it is, let's look at this passage. That's where I want to start with. So the passage, the first part is, he says, also, God has put eternity into man's heart. The first thing that we have to realize in being adaptable is that God has put a big picture inside of us. There is a big picture. There is something that is beyond us, bigger than us, something that we sense We know it's there. It's just beyond us. We're not quite sure necessarily what it is as human beings, but we know that we are a part of something bigger and something that matters. So we ask questions because there is this, what he says, there is this eternity in us. We ask questions that other creatures in this life, they do not ask. We ask questions like, what does it all mean? Why is this happening to me? What is my purpose? What am I supposed to do? We ask questions that try to put our life and existence in a bigger context. I do not believe at any time my dog has sat there and pondered the meaning of her existence. She just ain't that smart. We are the only creatures because eternity has been placed within us. We comprehend that there is something beyond, something bigger that we are a part of and we want to know what is our part in all of this. What is my role? What is my place? Shakespeare said, he said, and this pretty famous uh, saying, he said, all of the world is a stage. All of the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances and One man in his time plays many parts. 
So Shakespeare recognized, or he says it the way that he says there's a grand play in production. It has been written, it has been laid out, and we all have been given our parts that we have to play. And we come on the stage, and we leave the stage, and we may play many different parts within it, but we are a part of something bigger. There is something beyond us that we are a part of. In ancient Greece, they had the three fates who sat there and wove the story of your life into strands and made it as long as they wanted to make it, and they cut it. This is not foreign. It is built in us. Now, Peter says this to the Christians who are kind of pondering their place, and he kind of speaks this concept of eternity in us. 2 Peter 3, 8 to 9. He says, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach to repentance. So Peter here is trying to remind the people, look, to God, God is in this eternity that has been placed with inside of our hearts. So a thousand years is like a day. A day is like a thousand years to him. He is outside, beyond. He sees the entirety of the big picture. You and I, we are moving through this. And so Peter is saying, do not assume, don't believe that, that, that you know, that because things aren't working out the way that you think they're supposed to work out, that God is somehow messing up. God sees the big picture. And that leads us to point two, because I just want to get to this one. It, it's important. We cannot see the complete picture. And in a sense, this almost seems unfair, doesn't it? God has taken an awareness of eternity, the awareness of this plan, and placed it within us. It is inside of us, and yet we are not built to be able to comprehend it. We cannot gather it all together. And so Peter was dealing with that with his people. They were sitting there, and they're saying, why hasn't he come back? He said he was coming back soon, and Peter's going, oh, okay, soon to the Lord is going to be a little bit different than what soon is to us. God has the big picture in mind, but we do not. We are limited in our ability to see it. We feel it, but we can't see all of it. When God looks at the future, he already sees everything that is going to happen. When he looks at the past, he sees everything that has happened. When we look at the past, we only see what has been told to us. And when we look at the future, we merely see uncertainty, endless possibilities. We don't know what other people are going to do, how they're going to respond. We don't know if our job's going to be there or if it's stable. We we don't. We don't know if our life is there or not. So we as human beings, because we have this big picture sense in us, but we can't comprehend it, that drives us to one of our base desires, which is we want to control. If there's a big picture, I don't want to not, I I don't want to be without an understanding of what's going to happen to me. So that's why, if you think about it, what do you spend your life doing more than anything? We are constantly preparing for the future. I mean, that's what we're, think about it. 
We work, we save, we purchase. Everything is with a mind on the future because we are trying to control it. Security, health, everything. Our minds are always on trying to grab a hold of that plan and conform it to our will. And when it doesn't, we feel lost. So in John 14, verses 27 to 28, Jesus says this. He says to his disciples, he's told them he's going to leave. And he says, "Uh, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You have heard me say it to you. I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. So what does this have to do with uh, adaptability? What does this have to do with this concept of that there's a bigger picture, but we can only see a part of it? Well, here the disciples are. They've been following Jesus. They've seen him do all of these miracles. They've heard his claim that I am God. He has told them flat out, I am leaving I am going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to come and dwell. Unless I leave, he can't come. But when I leave, he's going to come. He's going to remind you of everything I've taught you. He's going to teach you everything else that you need to know. And he is going to give you, give you the exact words you need to speak when you stand before governors and kings. That sounds pretty exciting. Jesus, there's a big picture. God has it. And yet the disciples, where's their mind? What's the, they're sad. Why? Because Jesus is leaving. He's going to be gone. We're not going to have him anymore. All they could see was the small picture, their life. They didn't have a sense of what was They, they couldn't trust beyond it. All they knew was we've been following this guy and now he's leaving and now we don't know what's going to happen. And so they're sad. And Jesus is, is I'm going to the Father. God is going, I'm, I'm going back. I'm going to be set at the right hand of God. And I, your Lord, am going to work through you to do the mission and the ministry that you have been called to do. I'm sending my spirit. I'm going to, you should rejoice. You should be excited that this is happening. You should be thrilled that I'm leaving you because what's happening next is infinitely, infinitely more valuable. He's trying to get their minds off of what is happening right then and put their minds on this big picture. You can't comprehend it, but trust God. He's saying, trust God. Trust the Father. He's got this in control. You don't need to control it. Trust in Him. And that is ultimately, is that not the message of Christianity? Either you are trying to determine your own destiny and control your own life, and you are going to be constantly frustrated in this life. If you seek after health, guess what? You're not going to find it. You may find it for a while, but you're going to lose it. There's only disappointment. When you seek security, you may gain a little bit, but you eventually are going to lose it. You're only going to be disappointed. But when your mind is on the big picture of God, there is no disappointment. Jesus comes, Jesus 
leaves, Jesus speaks, Jesus is quiet. It doesn't matter. It is God's plan, the big picture. God is executing it. And I can rejoice whether I'm going through hard times or I'm going through easy times. I can rejoice. When my mind is set on the big picture, when I set my trust on God for the things that I can't comprehend, I can find joy. So in Philippians 1.6, Paul says, And I am sure of this, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm not even, I'm not even, I'm not worried about you guys. God who has began this work will see it through. Because that's who he is. Does Paul know how he's going to do it? Nope. He isn't worried about it. In fact, I find in my life, the coolest things happen when God does things that thwart my plans. When I set up my plans and my ideas for the way things should be, and God does something different, whatever he does is always better than I could have planned. Always. So that's why he calls us just to trust him, to lay our wills down to his, allow him to lead. But inevitably we don't want to. Why do we want to control things? The reality is we don't like uncertainty because we don't want to suffer. We don't want to hurt. We don't want to face trials. We don't want to go through difficult times. The only way that we get over that fear is by embracing part of the truth that was back up there in Ecclesiastes. So we have that God has placed eternity into the hearts of men, but he has not allowed us to be able to understand it. But it says that God has made all things beautiful in their time. And that leads us to this third point, is that there is beauty in all things. Everything has beauty. Even the darkest of things. The quickest and easiest way for us to become adaptable to life is to realize this truth. Plenty is not more beautiful than want. Health is not more beautiful than suffering. Ecclesiastes says there is beauty in all the times that God has appointed. War. War is violent, brutal, filled with agony, hate. And yet, in the midst of war, what do we celebrate? Heroism? Self-sacrifice? Someone laying down their life for someone else, giving it over? 
fighting for freedom or liberation or whatever it is, the ideals that they stand up for, that they defend. Even in the midst of that which is horrible, there is beauty. When you take the concept of death, he says there's a time to be born. We know the beauty in that. This life that comes into the world and is filled with possibilities. It's, 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 it's beautiful. And we look at death and we think it's nothing but loss. I always, whenever I do a funeral, I always try to remind, especially if the deceased was a Christian, try to go back to that big picture. Because a funeral may be a reminder that we have lost someone, but we have only lost them from our small picture. The loss that we have is nothing compared to the gain that they experience in moving into the bigger picture, in going and being a part of that eternity which was inside of them that they could not attain, they could not grasp, they could not understand, but now they're there. That's something to rejoice about. Yes, there is sorrow in our loss. But we should be overjoyed when a Christian goes home. They are free in a way they never have been. You know, we've all, we all know, we've all known people who have gone through illnesses, cancers, whatever it is. I mean, whatever it is, they've, they've, they've faced just horrendous situations. And they're positive and caring and loving. And you see a beauty in them that you never would have seen if it wasn't for that suffering. That's a hard thing to talk about, but there is a beauty in suffering. I grew up, Jenny grew up very poor. We didn't have. I know my way around a can of spam. That's how poor we were. My kids have not known that kind of want. I, we haven't cracked a can of Spam at our house. I mean, if you like Spam, that's great. I, I don't, no, that was awful. Spam, the little cocktail, little can of cocktail weenies cost 10 cents or something. There's, there's your lunch. I mean, th- that's, that happened. Slice of fried bologna and, some, and a slice of cheese. So we didn't have. It was hard. But I still remember my mother reminding me, we may not be rich in money, but we are rich in family. We are rich in love. And there's a beauty in struggling through things. There's a beauty in what brings you together. When I was teaching classes to 12th graders, 
down in Atlanta, I would talk about how Jenny and I, when we were first married, we, we, didn't, have enough, we, didn't, we didn't have enough money for, for anything. One of our cars did not have a floorboard, so you didn't want to drop your feet or you'd lose them. You could see the road. Uh, we, we didn't have money for a mattress. We had, so we went and bought little dollar egg crates and put them on the floor, and, and, and we slept on them. And I remember looking, and, and, yet, and yet people look at that, and those kids would sit there and be like, oh, my gosh, how did you make it? And I'm like, that forged something in us because we faced that together that we wouldn't have had without it. And they looked at me and said, I would never put up with that. In their plenty, there was no beauty. There's beauty in everything. So if you're facing good times, great. There's beauty to be found in that. But if you're facing hardships, there's beauty to be found. See, the way that we adapt in life is by finding the beauty. So in Philippians 4.8, Paul says this. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Put your mind on the beautiful things in life. I think of the, uh, in, in Acts where the apostles were put into prison and they sang hymns together. They rejoiced at their situation. They chose to find the beauty in it. But not only is there beauty in all things, it doesn't just say that there is beauty in all things. It says that God makes all things beautiful. And that leads us to this last thing is this, is that God makes the vile beautiful. God takes everything, anything, and he can make it gorgeous. Do you know how I know that? Because before Christ came, there was not one righteous. We were all corrupt, stained, sick, diseased with sin. Our hearts were evil from our youth. No one escaped it. We were all vile. But look at us now. You are beautiful. He has taken you, cleansed you, and set you up as an example for all to see. He makes, he makes saints out of sinners. He turns the lost into the found. He makes the common into the precious. And he raises the dead to the living. Everything that is vile, that we despise, God will use it for good.
So in Romans 8.28, he says that, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good for those who are called according to his purpose. This is part of what redemption is. We've been, we were talking about this on Wednesday, uh, the past couple of Wednesday nights. Redemption, it, it, is, it is the things that are broken being brought back. This world, creation, everything, it serves us once again. God takes the bad things that happens to us and he makes us better for it. Where without him it doesn't make us better at all. Even the vile things he redeems. In Philippians four eleven to thirteen, last passage, he says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So within you is a sense and an awareness that there is a grand plan. There is the reality that you cannot control it, and you have to ask yourself, do I trust myself to forge the future ahead of me, or do I want to trust the one who is already in the future with me, the one who can see everything exactly the way it's going to unfold, the one who promises me, the one who promises me that he will take every hardship I face and he will make it work to my benefit. Am I going to be the person that finds the beauty when I see people that are hurling insults, when I see people, am I going to find the good? And am I going to live in a way that realizes that God makes the vile beautiful? There is no one in this life that God cannot save. There is no one in this life that he does not love. So we want to extend this invitation to you this morning. Christ looks to cleanse and make beautiful. To take the ashes of your world and turn them into something amazing. Let's stand. We're going to sing our song of invitation. And if we can meet any of your needs, do anything for you. Pray with you, whatever it is. Come forward while we sing.